Welcome to Military Network Radio, where we'll bring dynamic interviews and fresh information about topics affecting your quality of life at each stage of your military service. Join us each week for information of value that improves your outlook, actions, and encourages each member of the family. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Everyone serves, and together we make a difference. And now, here's your host, Linda Crater. Good morning. We are very glad that you have joined us today. We're going to be talking about a very tough topic, but one that just doesn't get out of the headlines because of the lingering effects of the experiences by initially our Vietnam veterans. And we're talking today about Agent Orange and its effects, the later repercussions and the effects that go beyond the physical. They also, we will also go into the emotional, being alone, being isolated, being frustrated by the system. And yet remembering that you were there to do a job and you did it well. And we will even go into the betrayal that one feels when decisions made at the time result in repercussions later that no one knew about and and really didn't understand. So we are joined today by a wonderful Vietnam veteran Marine named John. And John will talk to us about his story, his three tours in Vietnam and what happened then and how it felt then, what's happening now, and then how to keep on fighting for what you are or what you have earned. And John, I'll let you tell your story. So welcome to our program this morning. We're very glad to have you. Thank you, Linda. Thank you for the opportunity and for the audience uh, for taking the time to listen. Well, I think it's very important. I'll state right up front that you wrote a book about this called In Thy Mother's Honor. And I think writing is often a catharsis in terms of being able to express what you went through, what you felt, where you went, your experience, and it helps others. And I think it's remarkable that veterans go on to help their fellow veterans long after active duty service. And I think that's what you're doing here today. So let's start when you joined the Marines. Tell that story, please. I joined the Marines in 1965. And I got out November 29th of 1968. And you served three tours? I did three tours in Vietnam. I went there when I had 10 months in in the Marine Corps. I was a Corporal E4 at the time, which was a a very good achievement. And I went to Vietnam, excuse me, and basically stayed there until just before I got out. Vietnam feels like a different war than the current ones we are fighting now. One was desert. The current ones are desert and mountains. And Vietnam was jungle and moisture and the Viet Cong and all different kinds of, it was a body count war. And it was, it was very close and very personal. Can you talk about what it felt like? How old were you? In 65? When I, I was 19 when I joined the Marines, <clears throat> excuse me, 20 when I went to Vietnam. Wow. And you knew what and you were getting into about, or you did not? Well, I joined the Marines because I, out of high school, I had a offer to go to college on a scholarship. Mm-hmm. I turned that down and started working for a while, got a draft notice, and 
about everybody around me. I grew on the south side. I grew up on the south side of Chicago. Mm-hmm. was getting drafted. And I felt they all seemed to be going to Vietnam. If I was going to go, I joined the Marines. Uh, it was just something I felt I needed to do if I was going in. And um, that was my choice to go into the Marines at that time. And then I, once I got in, finished the training, went through my special schooling, I my what's called MOS, which is your... Mm-hmm. What you're going to be in the Marines was nuclear, biological, chemical warfare. It's called 5711. Uh, but you have no idea when you're going to Vietnam what it's really like. I fortunately, unfortunately, grew up watching a lot of the John Wayne movies and the old World War One movies, and um, right. a lot of that stuck with me. And and I just felt that was something I actually felt I was dreaming about being in combat, and I had to find out if that was going to be my life. So that's why I joined and. Um, in 10 years, ended up going, oh, after 10 months, I ended up going, oh. but there's a story behind that, and that's part of the book, Logic Also. So when you took your special training in nuclear biological warfare, did you have any idea that your knowledge would later on help you? Well, you know, when you're doing any training in the Marines, I'm sure in any other branch of service, you have no idea what's going to come up, what usage it would be, but uh, when you get there, you learn the hard way. You learn by what happens today, what happens tomorrow. Mm-hmm. There is, unfortunately, at least in where I was, there wasn't much planning. It was uh, you're dropped off here for three days by chopper, mm-hmm. uh, picked up, and then maybe back somewhere else for a few days, and then dropped off again for three to five days. And that was my life. Everybody's life was different there. Mm-hmm. So while I always carried the chemical packs on me to either detect or, um, or place, I never actually had to use them but they always around my waist. So it was a training I got, but your real training in the Marines is your boot camp and your infantry training. All mm-hmm. Marines are trained to be infantry. Right. And uh, that was what your life and that's what you lived on. And the goal was to make it home. Now, I haven't talked to too many Vietnam vets who did three tours. Each one had to feel very different. How long were you home in between? I never came home. You Once never I came home? There, I never came home. I was there from when I went until I came home. You just stayed. My original tour, they told me, was nine months. Okay. Um, and then I had a chance to go home and I, or to extend this stay there for another nine months. And I took that extension. And then when that tour was up, I took another extension. And it was a six-month extension. Now, I have to ask, because it's an obvious question. What made you take the extensions as opposed to go home and get out of that nightmare? To get even. Okay, because at that point you were feeling very invested in what you were doing. I felt I was invested in the Marines around me who were killed or maimed, or I happened to be injured myself. I, uh, you know, you're a young kid. Your mindset is different than as you are today. I'm 72 years old, mm-hmm. um, and I felt I needed to get even, and I felt uh, it was my duty to be there and do what I could. Our producer is a Marine, and I know he's listening to this right now saying, Semper Fi, Marine. Thank you. You're welcome. I I think that, you know, at this point, it was such a different war. When people went to war in Vietnam, it wasn't like it is today, where there were people who might be opposed to the war, but they were behind everyone in the military. My uncle was did two tours in Vietnam, and... Each person has a different experience, as you've already said, but youth does give you some resilience in terms of how you were able to keep on going. 
this show is going to be talking about Agent Orange, so I'd like to introduce it in this um, the first segment. And Agent Orange, I don't think they called it that then. Um, talk about the purpose of Agent Orange for those who do not understand what it was used for. And then talk about if there was any warning when you were about to be sprayed with this. Well, we never learned the name of it until years later. We just right. knew that there was... And we found out each time after that they were dropping a... a they called it a defoliant for all the, the jungle growth. And, and for those of the, who don't know what a defoliant is, it, it burns off all the leaves in the jungle so that the Viet Cong could no longer hide in the undergrowth, which there were traps and unbelievable things going on. And that was to help ostensibly, correct? That was its goal. It was to help. But uh, what, whether they knew it or not at the time and, and what we didn't know when we were dropped on it, and we found out later, oh, by the way, that the foliage was dropped. And we're living in the jungle. We're living with our poncho liners. And right. our water came from the stream. If you went out with a canteen of water or your ammunition, when you needed water, you refilled in the, in, in the streams. You put a couple pills in there. They call them malaria pills. And you drank. And mm-hmm. you're drinking what they you know, dropped the, the chemical into. You're right. also all the leaves that you're brushing into are going all over your clothes, brushing against your face, your body. And again, you had no idea what was going on or that had happened because it was always done at night, we were told. So you were either on patrol, whether it was a night ambush, day patrol, or trying to get any little bit of shot out of your can in between your mm-hmm. next movement. And uh, it's years later when we all find out as we started falling apart internally, some external. Agent Orange has been a real problem in terms of getting the VA, the Department of Veteran Affairs, to acknowledge that it indeed causes certain cancers, certain conditions. And that has been proven now in many cases, and there are presumptive conditions. So benefits are provided um, willingly. Well, they're presumptive. You, You get them if you have these these cancers. But for many Vietnam vets, they stayed out of the VA system for the longest time because there wasn't a lot of warmth with being removed from service, separated from service and going back in. The country was in a very different place. We have about a minute and a half. Can you describe how it felt when you returned to the U.S.? Well, when I got back, um, after it was all done, I had to go for a, a complete physical Mm-hmm. And that was when I hit into Calwell. I did Okinawa for a couple of days and then California for a day and a half. Mm-hmm. And basically, they ran you through a bunch of tests and some x-rays. And uh, my last golden words they gave to me was, grow your hair out, get a job, and never tell anybody you were there. Right. That, was my par- that was my parting words. And so you went on. You know, they just said, check into the VA. I checked into the VA. They basically told me there's nothing they could do for me. Go get a job. They basically had the same words. Go get a job. You'll get insurance. You'll be covered. And uh, again, don't tell anybody you were there. Well, my uncle was told to change out of his uniform before he hit U.S. soil because it was not going to be received well. And I think that's along the same lines. So when you say you entered the VA system, you were one of the smarter ones who actually went 
and were registered at VA because that's extremely important to gaining benefits later on. There are those who do not, and we always say to veterans, please get yourself at least registered at VA, otherwise you really stand to lose out on benefits you've earned. John, we are going on our first break of the hour, and we will be back to talk much further about Agent Orange, the effects, what it does to families, and where you go from here. So you're listening, and to John, who's talking to us about Vietnam, Agent Orange, presumptive conditions, and much more. Stay with us. We'll be back after these short messages. Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world, and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, trishagoyer.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. ever check under the bed for monsters when you were a kid? That's what one man from Zimbabwe should have done. When Guy Whittle retired for the evening at the Humani Lodge where he works, he had no clue that an eight-foot crocodile was sleeping under his bed. He got out of bed to eat breakfast and heard one of the housekeepers scream. What's a word for the fear of reptiles? Herpetophobia. Mr. Whittle said that he had previously been sitting on the edge of the bed with his bare feet dangling just centimeters away from the 300-pound croc. Maybe crocodile noses aren't that sensitive after all. What's another word for smelly feet? Podhobromadrosis. To use a term from Shakespeare, these two were strange bedfellows. It's Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. We're talking with John, a Marine veteran from the Vietnam era who was very closely involved with Agent Orange and its effects. And we're talking today about not only the effects then uh, and the atmosphere of war and the understanding of the civilization we live in then versus now, but John, let's go back to, uh, we were talking right before the break about being certain that you register at the VA because it's so very important in terms of the benefits earned. And I believe you said you did register at the VA, um, but that there were some issues. We were talking on break. So you did register at VA or did you have to do it twice? 
I registered at the VA as they told me when I get out, go home, register, then get a job, really, all, all those things. Okay. But when I finally, finally tried to go back for any treatments later on in life as I started getting ill and not knowing what it was from besides the body parts hurting and other things happening, mm-hmm. I had to re-register. They told me I was never registered. So either that person at the VA either never filed the paperwork I filled out there or it got lost in the system. So I started from scratch. I believe okay. it was 2006. Okay, so you are part of that. Now, you say as you went on and medical conditions started to arise and no one knew. Was this this at a period of time? Because 2006, we knew about Agent Orange. And were you being informed by, for example, did you ever go to Vietnam Vets of America who have lobbied extensively on behalf of uh, Agent Orange? Uh, some people have good experiences with VSOs, others not so much. Was this one of the resources you used? I, I received papers, um, I don't remember when that was, about actually filing that if I was in Vietnam during these years, mm-hmm. that, that I could have been exposed to Agent Orange and uh, actually to fill out the file to be part of a class action lawsuit. Mm-hmm. And that's all I ever received, and it was from basically an attorney firm. So I filled out the years and everything. I got back a letter stating that uh, I, I was there and all that. I was going to be added to that grouping, I guess. It's called and a registry, right. Yeah, I had, that was the only notification I was ever given from anybody prior to when I started having internal issues in my body. So I'm guessing from what you're talking about is that you began to do the research on what was wrong. Something was causing this and you know, at this point, were you getting service-related benefits from the VA? I was getting nothing. In 2006, I went to the VA to talk to them and tell them I'd like to get a full checkup because uh, I was hearing about there was a lot of people having all kinds of cancers coming up who were exposed to Agent Orange. Mm-hmm. So I uh, went to the VA and asked to be put in the system. I, like every anybody, anybody who goes there, it's a task alone that tries to wear you down, beat you up, and, and cause Correct. elevated mind PTSD. Mm-hmm. But it took a few years before, I think it was a couple of years and a few days, when I finally got into the actual system and got my first rating, as they call it. But mm-hmm. I right away requested an Agent Orange test, went through, they took some blood, met with a bunch of people. I think I had to do some urine specimens, and then they'd done an X-ray. Mm-hmm. And then they showed maps of where you were during combat, and you're rated level one to four, four being the most exposed. They rated me level four. Uh-huh. And that's when they started noticing that my PTS, my PSA levels for my prostate right. was uh, elevated. So they started following me every few months mm-hmm. with uh, PSA tests and tracking me. Along then, they were going with, I had many, many MRIs because I was having problems uh, by 2007 walking. I was having problems. Uh, using some of the other parts of my body, my neck. I was having all kind of problems down my arms. Again, I was injured multiple times in Vietnam. So all the old stuff was coming back. I was um, seeing orthopedic surgeons, neurosurgeons. I was uh, seeing psychiatrists every month. And then they, after a little bit, they put me to see a trauma specialist. I had to see him twice a week, twice a month for probably about a year and a half. And he is the gentleman who uh, talked me into writing the book and to putting all what happened to me and the experiences of combat and Agent Orange as he sucked that out of me 
he felt, because my family never knew. They knew I had scars on my body. They knew I'd wake up in the middle of the night screaming, yelling, and my wife would, as she'll tell you, she hid in the closet many nights. Mm-hmm. She was, you know, she was so afraid. And uh, he felt what I had gone through that my family needed to know, and he felt there were so many things there that other people might help them in the future. So it, after many years of hounding, I finally decided to write the book and put it all down, which was a task in itself, trying to write down what I didn't want nobody to know. But did it help you, John? Um, you know, I'm able to talk about a few things a little bit more. Uh, I will still get emotional on certain things. Mm-hmm. and break down and cry, and, and, and that's an embarrassment to me. But uh, so I, I guess it helps a little bit, but, you know, I, I've told the site I see now, all this will go away the day I die. But the good news is you're talking about it, and you are able to affect change for others who went through this as well who cannot talk about it. There are some people who swallow the injustice, the PTSD, the isolation, the frustration, and you can die from the inside out, if, if you know what I'm saying, emotionally. So thank you for being so courageous and sharing this. As you went through your medical process, and they did discover that you know this all appeared to be Agent Orange related, or much of it was Agent Orange related, you were, you were doing the right thing. You were seeing the neuro you were seeing the psychologist or psychiatrist, you were seeing the specialists that were needed, but were you in touch with any of your battle buddies? Well, I only, that I'm aware of, there's one left. If there are more left, I don't know. Um, I I moved around a lot. I was mm-hmm. moved every few days. We were choppered somewhere. And after uh, I got close in my first tour with a, a, a Marine named, uh, Robin gave, and, and they were, we were all blown up in a truck. They died. I didn't. Uh, that was my first injury. Um, and I never allowed myself to be close, what you call really close. So as I met many Marines coming through as we filtered in and out because of the amount of injuries and the amount of deaths, at least where I was, um, you, you, you get to know the people, but I never became really, really tight, except that I knew I would give my life or the guy at my right and the guy at my left. Mm-hmm. So you were a sole survivor as well on an incident? Uh, there was a few more that day survived, yes. I wasn't the sole. Two, two died. Robin Gate died, and uh, there were four others of us. We were injured. I was the only one who was, by my choice, capable of staying on the rest were, were medevaced out. But I stayed because of my choice. Uh, again, the reason I stayed and what happened and what I did at that time uh, rather than, I prefer not to get into that detail, but it's detailed in real depth in, in the book. Okay. And I, I would have a hard time talking about it. Right, that's I, fine. I, we don't need to go into that. I think what you're talking about, though, is courage and honor. And I know your fellow Marines were appreciative of that as well as leadership. So as you're going through all this, um, you went through the VA lawsuit. I believe you also said that you placed a personal lawsuit no, the the Vietnam, the private, the Marine, well, every serviceman who had Agent Orange, uh, at least an attorney firm, I was contacted, and they filed, uh, um, I guess it's called a class action lawsuit okay. on behalf of veterans of Agent Orange. And it had nothing to do with the government. It was strictly with Dow Chemical. I think it was, I, I don't remember the other chemical. That sounds right. Name. 
and um, in 1993, there was a private award to all the veterans of uh, Agent Orange cancer for mm-hmm. pain and suffering. Okay. And the next day, the government, our government, took that money. They were not even part of that lawsuit. Took all the veteran Agent Orange vets' money and said, we will now give you care any related Agent Orange injury for the rest of your life. They had to give us care anyway as part of being in the military. Anything that happened to us. So, that so was no a, cash a award was made. All was made, but the government took it. It was millions and hundreds of millions of dollars. And that was for the Agent Orange vets suffering from cancers. And then, to, you know, as, as you would get the cancers, then you would get your, your fair share. Like, you hear about this mesothelioma. When right. it finally hits you, you come in and you got whatever based on how bad it either beat you up or killed you. Mm-hmm. And um, they took our money, and six months later, the government back then could not tell you. Well, they, they said they were putting into the fund to help the vets, and they couldn't, it never went to that fund. And, again, all this can be looked up if you Google Agent Orange Settlement. You'll mm-hmm. find all that is fact. It's not made up. Mm-hmm. So as part of my book and in the answer of my book, I'm saying, hey, give us our money back. You can spend billions on all these wars. Give us cancer suffering. That's our money back. That's one of my things. My title, my pen name in my book is I Am Waiting. And I close out with a few statements in the book saying one of the I Am Waiting says, I am waiting for all the Agent Orange vets to get their pain and suffering money back. And I am waiting for all the Agent Orange cancer suffering vets to get care because not all of them are still getting care. They're still battling for care. Yes. And that's uncalled for. Now, we, we have to go on a break, so I'm going to save my next question for after the break. But what you're talking about is is almost compounding the betrayal and the frustration. You went through this experience. You went to the registry. You proved and were confirmed that you had Agent Orange conditions. And then there was this settlement that was taken away, and we'll go to your book for more details on that. But confusion, betrayal, loss do not help PTSD. We have about a minute before we go on break. Can you explain what that felt like to you and how how it exacerbated the conditions that you were already undertaking? Because that had to be a, a milestone along your journey. What either the military or the VA either doesn't care or never thinks of is that any time they reject you, especially for something that's common sense as a veteran sees, it goes back and just brings back every member related to, in this case, the what my time in Vietnam. So when they refuse telling you you, don't, you weren't there or you don't deserve this, you relive everything you went through so that PTSD just compounds. You have more sleepless nights, more anger problems. Some go to the drinking and drugs. So all they're doing is compounding everything that you don't want to happen. You're trying to recess it, and they're bringing it out of you with their, I'm calling straight-up ignorance. I'm, I'm not going to disagree. I've, I've heard it from too many vets of every era, and we will go on our break. We're talking today with John, a Marine Vietnam veteran, talking about Agent Orange, the process that followed the book he wrote in Thy Mother's Honor, and explaining where we were then, where we are now, and how this affects families. And we'll come back after the break and talk about families and relationships and the effect afterward. We'll be right back. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages.
emergency room nurse will tell you they receive some weird and wild calls. I used to be the night ER nurse at Hennepin County General Hospital in Minneapolis and remember getting a call from someone who was worried about if it mattered or not if their belly button was an innie or an outie. It doesn't matter, but if you're an outie, you are definitely the minority. Still, that's good news because you don't have to worry about a little problem that people with innies have. Pledge it. That's another word for belly button lint. Researchers say the color of the pledget in your belly button is related to the clothing you wear, just like the lint that collects in your clothes dryer. A friend of mine from the Philippines says they call it a chikachu. What do you call a person who's obsessed with their belly button? An omphalopsakite. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. John, right before the break, I mentioned family, and that's because we all know that the support of a, of a close family, um, friends, buddies, whomever it may be, can really help when you go through traumatic and difficult times. There's always an effect on families. In fact, you know, we always say everyone serves and together we make a difference and we can make a better difference if we're together. But that doesn't always happen. And family can sometimes be the ones who abandon first out of either survival for themselves or because they just don't understand or because communication breaks down. Can you talk what you and your fellow Marines, because let's take this broader than you if you'd like, or specific if you would rather, experienced in terms of family communication, both upon return and then later on in life as these uh, experiences began to happen, the conditions began to exacerbate? Well, when I got home, I got the job and basically Nobody really talked about Vietnam, and definitely not me, and definitely not any service person I met. But uh, it was nothing nobody wanted to talk about, and mm-hmm. I was one of them, and I knew why. I, nobody needed to know what I had to do to make it home or what I had seen uh, because they never could really understand. Mm-hmm. But my family, my <laughs> excuse me, my wife, who, and I'm sure the wives of all the vets are sisters, brothers, mothers, they see changes in you, and they have to adapt, and you have to adapt. And, and through whole life, like I said, my wife has told me she's hid in the closet many a nights. And you'll get into, you can get riled up, angry, quick, and, and you got to thank God. I had a strong family to calm me down. I was fortunate I didn't go into drinking or drugs, and so many other vets did. You've seen around you, and, and, and it's a shame. But the family suffers along with these vets. They suffer if they've got a, a son or daughter came home missing limbs or blind or Part of their body uh, just shamed out the PTSD, the unseen injury, mm-hmm. where the guy goes into the drugs or the drinking or the rage, whether it's road rage or just physical rage, getting into a lot of fights. I had the road rage and I had the fight problem. I didn't have the drinking and drug problem. Uh, it wouldn't hesitate for me to just at the blink of an eye get into a fight. And, and that was my issue in my life. So my wife would keep me calm and do the best she can. And as my children got old, they had to live with a dad that was extremely, extremely strict. But uh, now that's interesting. That- was the strictness a result of trying to control some things that aren't easy to control? 
Or was it protection? Uh, as I look back later in life, the strict probably was me trying to, that was my rage coming out in, in another way. Mm. Um, it was, I, I wouldn't allow any deviation from what needed to be any minute of any day. And, and, and to me, that was maybe how they, if they lived that perfect in my mind, they wouldn't go through what I went through. Okay. At least as I look back to it, that's how I, I look at it. But, you know, it, it, as you get older in life, you know, we mentioned Agent Orange. You know, I've had multiple surgeries because of Agent Orange. I had prostate cancer. So they removed my prostate, my nose, my nerves. So I'm walking around with three weeks with a pee bag on and a, a hose out of my penis tied to your leg. Mm-hmm. And, and for the first week, your wife is there emptying those pee bags, in my case, helping out, because you physically could not bend over to reach to get it because of the pulling internally on you. Mm-hmm. And, and then you got to go through the diapers and pads and eight, nine times a day peeing out yourself. Going to sit down and all of a sudden it just blasts out and now you got to clean everything around you, clean yourself. And, and she was there for support. Your children, how do they react today with all the much greater knowledge base that we have about what Vietnam vets went through and the effects of Agent Orange? Do you have discussions with them or is this something that you don't discuss still? You know, they, they've learned just actually my wife and my children actually found out about all my injuries and other things. They knew they seen the scars. They seen how I was, but it was never talked about. When I wrote the book and just before that is when they started finding out about how I got the injuries and all I'm going through now. So it's not talked about. No, it still isn't. It still isn't. Did the book enlighten them in any way? Are you aware? I would say it brought them to light. To They've always had respect for the military, even given the deeper respect. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting talking to children of vets who have had what we'll call a, a different childhood because combat changes you and it changes the family. They often have a greater understanding when they have more knowledge. And yet I think the silence is very common to either protect them or because the vet does not want to talk about it or because of very real things about once something is said, it can't be unsaid and heard can't be unheard. So there are often good intentions about not sharing certain things, but it isn't until later when knowledge is given and more wisdom is gained on part of both children and the adults, that there's an understanding of why things were. Do you feel that their knowledge now, even if you're still not talking about it, their knowledge now gives them a bit of perspective in dealing with the way they were raised? Guaranteed. They've told me that. Good. They they understand that it had to have been a stress. And again, you'll call it stress, but it's actually PTSD. Right. Uh, and that was maybe, it was the wrong way now, but it was what I, all I knew what to do at the time and what I felt was right at the time. But they understand that and they know the best thing for me is to keep me busy, keep me busy physically, keep me busy mentally. Mm-hmm. Now, they all don't live around us anymore. We're in a retirement community, the wife and I. So, um, but anytime we see them, three minutes of every day until bedtime, it's keep dad busy, keep talking to him, 
take them somewhere, do something with them. And that is my best thing I do my whole life. Now as we're in the retirement community, I have to keep myself occupied. And I know that. Find something to do. I cannot just sit. But I think that's good advice because when silence and isolation take over, not great things happen. Well, your mind goes where you don't want it to go. Mm -hmm. So if you can keep it somewhere else, that is the vet. That is a tremendous cure in my mind for all the vets. And and the vets I've talked to to try to help and making sure that they don't give up out in this agent orange registry and get the care they need at the VA. Or I tell everyone I could that I talk to, keep yourself busy. Mm-hmm. Find somebody to do something with. Just keep your mind where, just so it doesn't rest until it's time to go to bed. And you're still, going to bed is going to have its own issues, but at least you make it through the day every day. It sounds also, that's excellent advice, by the way. And it sounds also as though the psychiatrist or psychologist, I'm sorry, I don't remember which, who encouraged you to write the book, really knew what they were doing. Because by putting this out in front, you are helping others. You are back to serving. It's just a different way of serving. Do you ever think of it that way? No, I know the, it was a trauma specialist, beyond a regular psych, and I had to go to the extreme. They, they have me listed as extreme uh, combat, extreme PTSD. Okay. Um, and I'm required to go the rest of my life, uh, as they told me many, many times. So uh, I follow the rules because they said if I stop, they'll put me away for six weeks. So I don't want that. So I keep going to every time they tell me whether I go in the next month or the next six weeks, I show up and I do what I need to do to keep keep my family together, just the wife and I right now and visiting the kids. But uh, yeah, I I believe there's a lot in there that could open the eyes up of not only the vets, but the families of the vets, but friends of families of the vets because they're around them too. You know, mm-hmm. not every family has somebody to, in any branch of service but they are around them because their kids play with them. So it's great for everybody to know what that family may be going through along with that vet um, because you're trying to create a life with your families with them doing things. And when you see that vet getting a little hostile or maybe one night he gets drunk or rowdy, uh, maybe give you a better idea of what he may have gone through, give you an understanding. Mm-hmm. And no vet's ever looking for pity. Oh, no, never. And, and that I can pretty much say that unequivocally, they really are not. But understanding can go a long way. So can compassion without the pity, as you said. But it's, it's important that people are aware of what does go on and how to, to treat things. You said you have a rage issue or a quick trigger anger. That's not uncommon either. But clearly, you have learned to manage it in a way, or to be aware of it. And oftentimes that's the most valuable part of all. Once you are aware that you have this, it's important. But I think the fact that you've maintained a relationship with your children speaks volumes to the fact that your actions and words may not have matched one another, but they could see through it that you intended well. And that means a lot. Yes, you... You know, I, again, Linda, I, I'm, I'm, I, I take every day for today. I, we plan ahead to do to be places, but basically, we live every day for what we can make of it. And uh, the kids have, when they can, they do what they can, say what they can. And you know, there's sometimes 
as a vet, you just want to be left alone too when you get a little riled up mm-hmm. or you want someone there talking to you. But it's sometimes it's time to give you that 15, 20 minutes, half hour on your own because you need to straighten yourself out internally so that you can meet with them, meet with the neighbor. Um, and, and any little thing can set you off. You know, choppers, helicopters is, is my biggest set off. Mm-hmm. I hear a helicopter. I, I go into a zone because that's what took me everywhere I went whether it was every three days, five days, seven days. I, 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 there's no doubt I was choppered into some kind of something uh, well over 100 times in my tours there. And, you know, combat is not every time you're dropped off somewhere, but you never know what time it's going to be and what it's going to be and to what extent or what extreme. So that is my number one trigger. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing, well, if I hear helicopters or I see somebody arguing, I right away think I got to be older, finding out what's going on in case I need to help somebody. And I'm an old man, and I still think I'm going to go over there and help two big kids fighting or something. And you know, silly, but that's my mindset. Get over there in case I don't want nobody hurt. Chances are good you could break it up and make it happen because I have no doubt that you command respect. What I love hearing though is that you are giving tips in terms of how to cope with this. You're right. Sometimes talking it out is not the best thing. Sometimes writing it out doesn't help. Sometimes being quiet to manage it is very, very important. And I think families need to know that too. Being given a safe, quiet spot to just regather yourself is very, very important. And so often, and this is, you know, women are guilty of this more often than men. You know, we want to talk things out. And sometimes there is a time for silence and a peace that can be found in silence while you manage the issues, because heaven knows you managed three tours in Vietnam, you can manage this too. So we are going on our final break of the hour, and we will come back further, and we'll talk more about ways of coping, and ones that worked, ones that you found didn't work for you, and suggestions you may have for our current vets and your fellow Vietnam vets and all those in between, because combat changes people, And coming home and family relationships and communication is different in every single family. We are listening to John talking about Agent Orange Vietnam, the effects of combat then and now. We'll be back right after these messages. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. found yourself on an airplane seated next to a non-stop talker that you really don't have anything at all in common with? When I fly, I usually want to catch up on my reading and not have to listen to an explaterator. It's even worse if they're a philodox. That's a person who just loves their own opinion. Well, now a Facebook app lets you choose your own seatmate before you fly. According to an article in USA Today, social media startups are bringing together compatible flyers before they take their seats. That's good news for people lovers, otherwise known as philodemics. A number of apps such as Plainly and Satisfly are helping travelers meet not only online, but in person. Think the Match.com of travel. I love flying and have been to almost as many places as my luggage. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Word. 
It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Did you know that the average teenager drinks twice as much soda as milk? Since 1983, sugar consumption in the U.S. is up 28%. Why is that? There are several reasons, but one of the most common is soft drinks. 20-ounce beverages have become the norm, and it's not surprising to find that 43% of our sugar comes from drinks. Sugar is blamed for poor nutritional diets. USDA data shows that people whose diets are high in added sugar eat less calcium, fiber, iron, protein, and many other important nutrients. Fat-free foods are also a culprit. Since sugar is fat-free, many people tend to think it's okay to eat as much as they want. Remember that just because a food is fat-free does not mean that it's calorie-free also. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. John, as you returned from Vietnam and you learned how to reintegrate into society and your job and your family and raise children, etc., I imagine along the way there were ways of coping that you tried or people told you about that worked and those you kept, but there had to have been other ones that you tried and didn't work. And, you know, again, I, I emphasize that coping is, is a very individualistic skill. These days, we use what we call uh, CAM, Complementary and Alternative Medicine, to help the VA evidence-based projects with PTSD and TBI and other conditions. Did you ever try any of those? For example, the, the riding and horse therapy or drum circles or music or journaling. The things that they're talking about now, meditation, yoga, acupuncture, they weren't available then, but they are now. Did any of those ever, were they suggested to you or did you try them and what happened? None of those that you brought up were ever suggested to me out of all my treatment. All none of them? Ever, zero. Since 2006, seen, none of those were mentioned yeah, to you? Correct. And I was seeing a psychologist, psychiatrist, and trauma specialist for Ugh. a minimum of three and a half to four years from 2006 to 2010. None of those were ever brought up. All they ever did was rotate the drugs, rotate the pill. Oh, boy. You know, one pill would basically make you so groggy that you didn't even know what was going on. The other one would make you sick and uh, just keep changing and adjusting. And, and that was their method to try to find a happy medium to keep you where you could perform or be up Function. all day. But right. try to try to control as much as they can. And it's... They, in my case, they needed to get it to the minimum dosages because anything else uh, just kept me in this, as I call it, a stupor. I, I was like walking around like a walking zombie. Mm -hmm. I couldn't even do anything, cope. Uh, so they either put you out or, but I, I'm on a, well, basically, none of those were ever brought up to me. And the only thing that was brought up maybe a year and a half ago was that uh, possibly medical marijuana, but that's not part of the system. And. I don't right. know if that's something I would ever want to try anyway. I've never, I've not smoked my whole life, and I don't want it to be anything else, you know. I don't no. want to put anything more into my system than I have to, than I have to or already am. No, that makes total sense. It's, it's just fascinating to me that every VA has 
these alternative therapies and complementary therapies to offer alongside. And those who have tried them often report that they get much more peace and solace and better benefit out of their cognitive-based therapy, their psychotherapy, etc., by doing something that's enjoyable to give them a different kind of calm and a communication. Especially I hear this with the equine, the horse therapy, or fly fishing, or being outdoors. I mean, those are the kinds of things that seem to help. Some prefer to go play golf, which doesn't sound like a possibility for you, but yoga or meditation or journaling. You basically did your own journaling when you wrote your book. But we do encourage veterans to look into that and ask the VA. Unfortunately, there's very little proactive information coming out. And that's why we do these shows, so that people even know to ask about them. I want to make sure we have time to talk about why you wrote this book, the name of the book, why the title, and what you feel are some takeaway messages in the book that are very important for Vietnam vets and today's vets to learn. So take it away. Thank you. Um, again, I wrote the book because my trauma specialist felt that, <clears throat> excuse me, my family and needed to know all that happened to me and what was still going on with me and why. And then also it could help so many other vets out there understand what another vet went through and so many ways it could relate to them and how I coped, how maybe it could help them get through. Uh, I titled the book In My Mother's Honor because uh, prior to my going to Vietnam, my father, my mother was eight months pregnant. My father died on a spot, had a massive heart attack, died at work. Mm-hmm. When they called her, she passed out, fell uh, on her belly, uh, ended up, she crushed the baby's head, and so they had to take the baby out. So she lost her husband and baby right thereafter. And two months later, I come home and said I was going to Vietnam. And she naturally said, I can't go. She couldn't hear losing another person. Mm-hmm. So I basically told her she would never hear that the Vietnamese did call anybody that, that they had ever hurt me or that she would ever hear that I was killed. So while I was over there, I was injured multiple times. Each time I was injured, as I told you about the truck with Robin Gate, yes. when a rocket hit us. Um, I refused treatment from the corpsman. I took care of myself, took the morphine pills, taped myself, sewed myself in other instances, and uh, went back on. I re- and because they told me if they touched me, then they would fill out a log, and I would be reported to my mother. Someone would show up on my mother's mm-hmm. doorstep, mm-hmm. and I felt that would I felt that would kill her. So with each of my injuries, I, in my own terms, with the corpsman, uh, and the one time a doctor told them they weren't going to touch me and why. And each time they did give me what I need, and the one corpsman stood there and sort of guided me through. And um, this way my mother never knew. So when I came home, my mom never knew all the injuries I had because she couldn't see the scars on my body because mm. she never seen me naturally unclothed, never in a swimming pool, never a mm-hmm. just something. So she always said to me, now tell me what really happened. I would always tell her, look, mom, two arms, two legs. But the scars on my body, my chest, my I still have shrapnel on my right hip. I've got an eight-inch scar there on my shoulders, on back, um, gouges. Um, and all that is detailed. Each combat injury is fully detailed in the book mm-hmm. and detailed about my experience with the corpsman or doctor, what I had to go through, and how I made it through even with those injuries. And I'm not the only person who ever refused treatment or refused 
And, and I found out later that by my refusing that treatment, I was refusing my Purple Heart. And that is something I'm oh. fighting now to get my old Purple Hearts back. Right. And I've been battling that, I've been battling that for nine and a half years now. And, and again, another bringing up PTSD issue. Uh, because as I battle and they give me all this nonsense, I filled out every requirement they do. Got all the stuff in the records from the VA saying they're still strapped on my body, that my shoulder, my neck, I've had neck surgery, back surgery, shoulder surgery, my total shoulder replacer just last year. All from, and it all relates to the old injuries and my cancers. I've had heart, five heart surgeries from Agent Orange cancer. But anything, everything is in there. It details every injury, details all the care, all my battles with the VA. I'm trying to get the care, um, and, and that's why I really appreciate it, the audience, uh, whether you're a military member or a neighbor, there is so much for you to learn about what your neighbor may be going through, what your brother, sister, father, mother, uncle, aunt had gone through. It could open your eyes, which may help you help them. Beautifully said, but I'm still in awe over the fact that you refused treatment for each injury to save your mother the shock of being notified. Uh, that That is one that I have not heard before. Uh, I may have a Purple Heart specialist who can help you. Uh, we'll talk about that after the show. The, the book is called In Thy Mother's Honor. And it is available at your key bookstores. And we will post the links in the show notes. And, John, your sharing of this information is on so many different levels. First of all, it's courage. It's bravery. It's helping your fellow vets, as always, which we've seen time and time again. Vets will support other vets from the moment they're there till the moment they're gone. And it's truly wonderful tell us what you'd like people to take away from the book beyond the knowledge what would you like to see if you could wave a wand what would you like to see people experience after reading your book i'd like them to see an experience if they don't have respect for that have that get more if you have it again we're not looking for a free meal You're looking for understanding and compassion and an understanding of what an entire generation of men went through, men and women, but fewer women than men. And I, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but I believe that we don't understand what went on in Vietnam as much as we are connected today where you can't turn on the television, you can't go on the Internet without seeing something that's happening today. In fact, you're inundated with information. But at that time, you were not. And it was a very different country you returned home to. And thank goodness we do have today a lot greater understanding of at least the respect that's earned through participation in service. So John's book, again, In Thy Mother's Honor, thank you to your trauma specialist who encouraged you to write it. And thank you for having the courage to share it with us today because I think that this will help more people than you know. And we always like to say that everyone serves and together we make a difference. And by letting our audience know, I think you really have opened eyes to what goes on. I also would say and ask you, 
the VA, you can work through the VA if you persist. Any other words you'd like to add on that about persistence and keeping at it to make it happen? You can't give up. It seems their mindset is to give you to give up. If they keep rejecting you, that you'll finally say, I'm not going to fill this paper out anymore. And it's like they won. And, and I've heard and, and seen it printed somewhere that they were getting bonuses by how many claims they didn't process, meaning how much money they had mm -hmm. saved. And that's how they got their bonus. And that was shameful to hear. Um, so don't ever give up. When you're filing for a claim, whether to get on the Agent Orange Registry so you can get that care or just total care for your body, for your time and service, no matter when it was, whether it was during a combat time or not, or whether it was in combat, don't ever give up. And, and Linda, if you don't mind, one other point you asked about my book. Uh, points I'm trying to reach out, one, in a, let's say, on a selfless thing for me, but the other is I'm trying to reach out and hope if enough people read this book, if it's not them, they may know somebody who can help re-go back to this Agent Orange settlement and maybe get that brought back to life for all the cancer suffering vets. And in my case, maybe somebody knows somebody who can help me. I'm trying to recover my Purple Hearts, and I found out while I was in Vietnam, I was also promoted to sergeant from corporal, and I have all that paperwork, and I've got copies of this in the back of the book. There's copies in the back, 10, 12 pages, of showing my promotion, showing that they're shrapnel in my body, showing x-rays. John, I am there. so sorry. We The show is ending, and we're going to have a hard stop, and I will contact you about the Purple Heart Contact, and thank you so much for sharing your work in thy mother's honor. We are grateful to have had you on today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in today to Military Network Radio. You can find our show at our website, www.toginet.com forward slash Military Network Radio. Also, www.militarynetworkradio.com and in iTunes under Military Network Radio. Join us next week when we bring you another program to enhance 